we are going through, for the last few months now, we're going through a new series that's going to take us a while. We wanted to go slowly through a series called Relational Formation and look at how does change actually occur in our lives. And I think that there's two things that are true, as we've said, that everybody wants to be loved and accepted just the way they are, and no one wants to stay that way. And so what we're looking at is how does personal change actually occur? And if we're to summarize what this uh, whole series is about, it's in Galatians 5, 6b, not a, that's on circumcision. That's not the goal of this sermon series. The, the goal of change is faith expressing itself through love. Now, that's just hard to understand. That the whole goal of change is that we would pe be a people that express our faith through acts of love. What does that have to do with anything? If we're to think about what change is, we're not thinking, I don't think, we're thinking about faith expressing itself through love. We're thinking, I want to be happy. I don't want to be sad anymore. I don't want to be in bondage to things. I want to be able to see my spouse and family in a new way. I don't want to be resentment, resentful anymore. I don't want to hate my work. And God comes along and says, all of those changes that you desire, great. And the way that you're going to experience all those other things is if you can figure out Galatians 5, 6b, that you would understand how to have a faith that expresses itself in love. And if you can figure out that, all those other things are symptoms of working through this difficult-to-understand statement. The, uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with what to say and what not to say, just because it's hard to communicate uh, sometimes, not because of you, but me. The, I think the most difficult thing to grab hold of when it comes to change, or at least one of them, is that change is a relational idea not an individualistic or isolated idea. So uh, what our Western culture leads us to believe is that change is always an internal reality. So if you're struggling with something at work or at home in your thought life, the, the primary problem is what's going on inside of you. And so you need to figure that out. And as soon as you figure out your internal world, then you're going to be able to relate better to your external world. The Bible says something very different, that the reason for any of our issues is quite simply because we don't have a trust relationship that expresses love with our Father in heaven. The reason for anxiety, the reason for revenge, the reason for uh, a, a fallen nature is that we don't know how to rightly relate to God in any given moment. And as we would grow in our relationship with God, trusting him, loving him, we would find that the rest of our life would fall in order. 
I am pretty sure that a church is the only place you're going to hear that message. No one else talks like this. The primary issue is inside of you. Well, I mean, you blame your circumstances, but it's primarily inside of us, and so we need to fix ourselves, and that's not what the Christian message is about. So we've been on this journey to understand how do we rightly connect to God and have a life-giving relationship with Him that would spill out into the rest of our life. The last number of weeks, we looked at stage one. There's three stages. We looked at stage one. It's the stage of truth. And what we said is that, as, that we need to change our beliefs, that the first step is to change what we think. We said that not every thought is worth believing. Not every thought that you have is worth believing. We all have lots of thoughts every day, but not all of them are worth believing. And so we looked at how to be aware of those thoughts, how to assess those thoughts, and then how to walk out in a new truth by abiding or walking with Christ. So we tried to trade uh, trusting in our own assumptions about what right and wrong is, what's good and bad, and trade those assumptions for truth, what God says. That's the first step toward having a trust relationship with God is reforming our mind and having him challenge what our assumptions are about. Today we're moving into stage two. And so if stage one is about changing our beliefs, stage two, if you think that's tricky, stage two is about changing our desires. And the Bible calls this change of desires repentance. Now, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old, and so I grew up in the church after that time. And repentance was not good news. Repentance was, uh, was feel bad and try harder. That's what repentance meant. And if you weren't crying, if you didn't feel super guilty, you hadn't repented, and that's probably your problem. And so you need to get in touch with all that and try harder to be a good person. Instead, what repentance is talking about biblically is to change our desires, to choose love over self-centeredness. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about how we need to uh, forsake idols, false loves, and trust in God. The call to repentance is to have a change of desire. Okay, how do you do that? I can kind of get how you change your beliefs because you, you look at what you believe, you, you know, and you go, you know, you compare that to what the Bible says, and you go, that's not a good belief, that's a good belief, and you kind of go through the list. That's, that's clear, and I think that because it's so clear, that's where God starts because he's kind. But then he goes beyond beliefs into desires. And how do you change what you want to do? Like, where do you start? Uh, just to give you a heads up, the last stage is about wanting to do something and then finding the power to do it. So we'll get there eventually. Just come for a few months. But, the, uh, but where we're, what we're looking at right now is actually the changing 
of our heart's desires from self-centeredness to love. Now, when I grew up in the church, the goal regarding desires was to suppress them. That's all that was ever going on. And you kind of won if you could, you know, suppress all of your desires. And they would give you awards for godliness. But it was all about suppression. So, uh, you know, whatever the desire is for revenge or people-pleasing or lust or wanting another drink or whatever it was, you just, you just push them down and, uh, and squint because it's really, really hard. And what we began to discover, of course, is that it's like pushing a beach ball underwater. And you can only do that for so long, and eventually it pops up somewhere else. Might look like something different, but it's really the same thing, because you just get tired of trying to suppress. The, uh, the miracle of Christianity is that God invites us to let him actually change our desires, not just suppress them. In Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you, that's a desire, to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws, which is love. So this, this grand gift is an exchange of desires. Now, I don't know if you viewed salvation that way before, but God actually wants to reform our hearts and our desires, not just call us to suppress something. So the goal in repentance, then, is to desire love and relationship more than the pleasures of self-centeredness. So uh, the enemy... Of, of love is I'm going to follow my own selfish pursuits. And a re repentance is a 180-degree change of heart and mind and going in a new direction. What that new direction is, is the direction of love and relationship. So to say that you've repented doesn't simply mean you've stopped doing a bad thing. Actually, that's the outcome of repentance, according to Luke 3.8. The real thing that's going on is I have had a heart change that I so love God and others, I have turned away from my self-centered pleasures. I am willing to deny myself a personal pleasure because I have a, get this, a greater desire to love God and to love others. And given that new, fresh, life-giving desire, the pleasures of sin I disdain. I don't want to do them. I hate doing them because I so am in love with God and want to give and receive his love. Are you following me? This is repentance. This is not sick, I screwed up again. I better try harder. It's I so love you, I don't ever want to do that again. This is what it means to repent. Now, here's what I've noticed in the church is what we typically do is we move from truth to faith. So we find out what the truth is. You know, you read the Bible. 
And it says, don't do this and do this. And we go, good, got that. And then we apply faith to that. Faith meaning, I'm going to trust you to give me the ability to do what you've called me to do. Make sense? Seems pretty straightforward, right? What I think is missing, and the reason why I think we're so discouraged by the level of success we have in change is we don't know how to go through the valley in between the two, which is the valley of repentance. And unless our desires truly change, any attempt to try to be a better person is merely cosmetic, temporal, uh, superficial. I know what I should do, and now I'm going to try, is insufficient. It's, this is who God, what God invites me into. I need to now align my will with that. And then he gives me the grace to fulfill what my new heart in him desires. So here's an interesting thought. What if the reason why you struggle to change, oh, this is going to be hard is because you don't yet want to. I mean, you'd like to, of course, you'd, everybody likes to, especially if you're at church, you have to like to. But, uh, but what, if, what if what's going on is there's actually something hasn't yet happened in our heart where loving God and loving others is a life-giving anticipation and not just a suppression of doing bad things. Today is an introductory you know, sermon into this whole idea of repentance. And so we're gonna look more at what repentance is in coming weeks, but today we have to focus on how we avoid it. Because uh, sometimes what we think we're doing you know, isn't exactly what we need to be doing in order to get that new heart. So how do we avoid a love relationship. This is where we're going. We want to repent toward a love relationship. How do we avoid doing that? Having that, that life-giving, abundant life of being one with God and being known by Him. I mean, when you looked at that on the screen, you know, those people got something, right? Like their, their will, their desires are changed. So that persecution... Is a, is a privilege. And you hear Nabil say, don't have pity on us. Pity yourself. Because we have something through persecution that has refined our relationship with God that makes it a greater joy. I mean, for us, we get persecution and we wonder whether God exists. They get persecution and it deepens and strengthens what's true because there's a heart of repentance present. So how do we avoid this love relationship that God is inviting us to turn toward or to repent toward? Well, we choose one of two other kinds of relationships. There's the first kind of relationship we can have with God is about love and relationship. The two other kinds we've summarized, and if you've been in this church for a while, you're familiar with this term. We summarize it in calling it the pendulum swing. Psychology describes these two extremes of unhealthy relationship in, in common ways. And the Bible refers to them as well. We'll get to that in a minute, of course. Uh, 
But uh, if you're in a marriage, the two unhealthy ways to relate to somebody is called demand and distance. So you demand that they love you on your terms, or you distance yourself and don't want anything to do with them. Other words are called enmeshed, where you absorb the other person into who you are, where they no longer are another person, they're just an extension of you in your self-centered world, or you disengage. Uh, psychology has figured out that there's only two ways that you can have an unhealthy relationship, where you go away or you consume. There's only, you, right, you can only go in two directions. And that's what they figured out. In, uh, in the Bible, what we see is that Jesus only ever related to two kinds of people. And if you read the New Testament, they're summarized as being Pharisees and sinners. The words that we're using today is the religious and the rebellious. This is the pendulum swing. And so what we find in Scripture is that there's two general relationship types outside of love and relationship. A religious kind of relationship with God and a rebellious kind of relationship with God. The rebellious ones were called sinners, sorry, and the, uh, and the religious ones were called Pharisees. That was the, well, there were more than them, but those are the religious rulers of the day. So follow me now. These are two unhealthy ways to have a relationship with God and with others. Let's look at these two, and then I'll show you how it works. Rebellion. Rebellion is fairly easy to understand. Rebellion avoids relationship. That's just what's going on. It's distance. It's disengagement. It's, uh, it's an absentee father. It's somebody who is, may even be physically present, but they're emotionally absent. Uh, the rebellious way to engage in relationship is just to not have one. And the idea here is that it's safer and funner to not. So this whole love relationship with you looks super tiring. And uh, I don't actually feel safe trusting you. Moreover, when I read what you want me to do, I get sleepy and bored. And so that's just not fun. So I'm just going to rebel against that. I'm going to go in the opposite direction and do what I want when I want. That's a rebellious relationship. still a relationship. It's just not a very healthy one. But rebellious people, of course, uh, myself included, rebellious people, of course, don't want to say, you know, I'm a rebel, because that doesn't sound good, at least in some circles. So what we talk about is we talk about freedom. Freedom is a much better word. And it's a happier word. And so we say, I'm not rebellious, I'm free. And then everybody goes, whoa, I respect that. <laughs> so, uh, so we talk about freedom instead of rebellion. And, uh, and this is how we justify our distance from God. Uh, Judges 21-25 says, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. I just do what I want when I want, I'm free. And the only constraint that society puts on me is consent. So if I can manipulate you to agree with me, we could even be abusive towards one another and it's all good. 
But the freedom that we see in society is simply thinly veiled rebellion. So then we try to be rebellious for a while, but we discover that it's hard to have like a relationship with people if we're only ever doing what personally pleases us. And so we swing the pendulum then over to religion. Religion is a little bit harder to understand because it's more sinister. And if you look at who Jesus was mostly upset with in the Bible, it wasn't actually the sinners, it was the religious. Religion controls our relationships with rule keeping. Now, if rebellion is about avoidance, religion is about control. So, yeah, God, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to decide to have a relationship with you. Uh, hell sounds nasty, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to do what you want me to do in the hopes that I'll get what I want. Now, I'm not totally convinced that I'm going to be do everything you want, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with my favorite rules that I'm pretty sure I can keep. And then I'm going to define the health of my relationship with you according to those rules. Rules are a way to control a relationship. It's, hey, I did this, this, and this, therefore I deserve this, this, and this. That's religion in a nutshell. It's a... It, it, it looks, it might look the same as someone loving, but the motive is entirely different. It's getting what I want through keeping the rules. Now, if you look outside of Western society, you have entire societies that are more religious in nature, which means that the way that they engage with other people is through discovering a set of rules and then agreeing to those rules. They're religious cultures. And so if you come from uh, a background where uh, the culture is more Islamic or Catholic, um, even Buddhist, those will be more religious kinds of cultures where you find out what the rules are, you live up to those rules, and that's the way you're able to have a relationship with God and with the people around you. Now, religion doesn't sound any better than rebellion, and so what the religious prefer to describe themselves as is responsible. That's a much better word. I love that word. It amuses me to no end. I am a responsible person. I figure out what I should do, and I live up to the obligations and rules of those around me. Doesn't that sound noble? And so we choose control over trust. I can control God if I figure out what his rules are and then try to meet those rules. But if I actually have to trust him to love and forgive me, now I'm out of control. I don't want that kind of relationship. I want a religious relationship with God. This is what's described in Luke 18.9. It says, Some people were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. A religious person always feels confident about the particular rules that they prefer to live by. And then if you don't live by those same rules, they look down on you for being not as responsible as they are. Galatians 3.3 talks about Christians who began their relationship with God living in God's spirit and then went to follow the law instead. 
What we need to understand about this is that religion is just as self-centered as rebellion is. It's all about getting what I want on my terms. The rebel is obvious about that. The religious is more subtle about it. Same agenda. I want some things, and this is how I'm going to get them. So how does this work in daily life? Uh, maybe the, the best way to describe this would be our work week. Let's pretend that you work nine to five. And so nine to five is your religious time. You have this thing called a boss and uh, they have expectations of you. And so you fulfill those expectations. You're rightfully religious, doing all that's told so that you can get what you want in return called a paycheck. And then when five o'clock comes around, I'm free, otherwise known as rebellious. And so if your boss phones you, I mean, unless you're super nice, but if your boss phones you at 11 at night, says, hey, I need you to do something for me, you go, no, no, no. No, this is my time. I'll be happy to do whatever you say at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. But this is my time. It's possible to live our whole life swinging between religion and rebellion. It's possible to have a relationship with God that swings between religion and rebellion our whole life long. So this is how it would look. We, have, uh, uh, we do some things that we're not proud of. We look at something on the internet. We behave in a way towards someone else. And uh, we were being free, but now we feel guilty. And you go, I don't want to feel that. So then I'm going to swing over and be religious. And I'll say, Jesus, um, you know, please forgive me for my sins, for everything that I have done wrong toward you and toward others today. In the name of Jesus, amen. What, how would you like me to behave instead? And so then we try to do these things instead of being what we enjoyed. We try to do these things. And uh, that's just super tiring. And so you try for a day or two or a week or a month, depending on how responsible you are. And then, and then after a while, it goes, oh God, this is so boring and tiring. There is nothing fun going on here. And so just to get relief, I'm going to go be re rebellious for a while. Finally, I get to go to the bar and just laugh. It's, they're way better over here. And so I'm over here for a while, but then things start getting nasty and I start crossing lines that I don't feel good about, and I know I'm violating God's law and hurting other people. Well, I can't do that. Here we come again, religion. <laughs> I hate you as much as you hate me, but this is all I can come up with. <laughs> so let's try again to just try a little harder this time, and maybe I'll like it. Doubt it. And then, and then we can just go back and forth all life long, swinging between religion and rebellion. It looks like, uh, it looks like budgeting. <laughs> budgeting is a religious exercise. And so, uh, so you budget, and you count every penny, and you found some cool new app. I just found one online, some cool new app that's going to link with my bank account. That's cool. Bring a little joy into otherwise depressing reality. And, uh, and so I'm just trying to budget for some reason. 
called not debt, because I hate that. But then I just get tired, and it's on sale. <laughs> and so I just got to get some relief. And I bought something. Ooh, that felt good. And I didn't totally need it either, which made it better yet. I just bought it. So there, budget. <clears throat> and then now we're free for a minute, right? We're just free. And, and when, when does our freedom end? When the visa bill comes. <laughs> and you go, ah, sick. And we, back we go again. <clears throat> we can feel this in terms of lust. The pleasure of lust does not need to be described, especially publicly. But you feel guilty over there. And so you try super hard to control your emotions over here. But the very, follow me now, the very way that you control your emotions produces the need for rebellion. You follow me on that? The very solution you're choosing is setting you up for rebellion. Eating. Uh, just fun over there. Until you, when's the reality check? Not the visa this time, it's the way scale. Ah, you know, and now I'm gonna diet for a while. And then you can only have food that has no taste for so long, and you just gotta go back and get flavor. I just want flavor. For me, it's grease and salt. That's what makes me come alive. It's like, yeah, now we're eating. We weren't eating before, now we're eating. <clears throat> you, look at, uh, you look at a new Christian. You'll see a new Christian uh, leave behind uh, a hard life. And then they seem to join everything. They come to the prayer meetings and read their Bible every day and, and volunteer for stuff, even though nobody else wants, because they've been around a while and they know how lousy it really is. And, and, but they're doing it, you know? They're doing it all. And then one day, they just chuck it all. Go to an office party and drink a little too much, sleep with somebody. Now, why are they doing that? They're not getting relief from Jesus. They're getting relief from religion. And the only way they know how to get relief from religion is to be rebellious. Are you following me on this? Can you see how you can live your whole life swinging between these two realities? So what is your relational type? What do you tend more toward? Are you more religious? Or are you more rebellious? I'm more religious. I just, I love rules. I feel safe and warm and cozy in them. And uh, it keeps everybody at arm's length. And it helps me live my little life. Lonely, but well controlled. What's your relational type? Which do you tend toward? I think we're all well-rounded in that we move toward religion and rebellion, but I think we have a favorite. What then does it look like to repent? 
What does it look like to repent? I'll say the sentence and then we'll unpack it because it'll sound religious to begin with and we need to, we need to work that through. But we surrender our self-centered benefits because we desire love so much. We give up being religious and we give up being rebellious because something's changed in our heart that is outside of our control and it's love. And he's captured our hearts and we want him. Uh, in psychology, they call this attachment. And if you don't know how to attach, they call it a reactive attachment disorder, which I'm pretty sure we all have in this room. And uh, what it means is, is that we struggle to connect. We struggle to let ourselves in and give up control. It's what we all struggle with. There's something in us that longs to attach more than anything else. We just long to give and receive love. But sometimes it feels just as powerful and perhaps even more powerful is the fear of giving up control. And this is the journey of repentance, is the journey of change. To, uh, to explain this, I'm gonna ask Leanne to come up. Leanne, this is your moment. Leanne is one of, I have told this story in front of uh, many, many people and I'm not always sure I'm getting the facts right. So since she's actually here, well, you know, you'll hear it straight from her. Uh, Leanne is one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. And she's one of the most amazing parents I've ever seen in action. And so, uh, so, so you've been a foster mom to about how many kids? Just over 300. <clears throat> that's, that's more. That's lots. I think if we added up all the kids in this room, I think you still win some. Uh, that's a lot of diapers. That's a lot of diapers. <laughs> uh, so, uh, especially at the beginning of you being a, a foster mom, what kind of kids would you, uh, would you typically get? Um, I would get them knocking on the door. You would have a cop knock on the door at 2 o'clock in the morning and bring a kid wrapped in a towel because there was no diapers for them or any clothes and they were picked up out of a drug bust and they needed somewhere safe to bring them and so you've got a kid that's hugely and highly traumatized um, most often sexually abused most often not fed well or at all um, and uh, they come to you terrified yeah didn't that break your heart aren't you grateful for people like this in our world uh, so tell me, what, what is your, what would be, okay, you've received them. Mm -hmm. Tell me your journey. Now we're talking about attachment. Tell me your journey. What would you, what would you do for that? Um, the first thing that I would do is get right down to their level. Um, make really good food and lots of it and make sure it's always there. Um, talk, express how I'm feeling all the time. Um, how excited I am for them to be there. Most of them can't even hug you. They are pretty much sticks. They don't know how to hug. They don't know how to talk. They can't smile with their teeth because they don't even know how to do that. Some of them don't speak English. Um, 
and I would play and I would sit outside their rooms and sing songs. I'd wake them up in the middle of the night with freezies in the summertime. Um, I wanted them to know I was always there and I was safe. Wow. Wow. Now, you did something that's unique as part of that process after you did that for a while, right? Mm -hmm. You would take them to the pool. Yes, because you, no you kid in that? care ever knows how to swim. It takes an adult to come in with you, and it takes a lot of patience, and it takes trust on the kid's part. And so the first thing I would do once I started specializing in attachment disorders is uh, go straight for the deep end. And I would take them in. I consider myself a human flotation device. <laughs> and uh, I'd take them in, and the first thing they would do was what you do in the hospital when you have this newborn baby, and they give it to you naked, and they put it up on your chest. And I would be as naked as is allowed. <laughs> and so would the kids, and all they knew was that they needed you. And I don't know how to swim, and you're safe, and so I'm going to hang on to you because you're the difference between life and death here. And then I would play. Wow. Now, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> okay. If this doesn't blow your mind, Leanne was helping children repent. Isn't that incredible? That is repentance. Living a life of independence, yeah, freedom, but independence, not trusting anybody, churning toward a life of connection and belonging and a safe place. What if what we did is we reframed repentance like that? Wouldn't that dramatically change what that word means? Because I think it's what that word means in the heart of God. Where he's saying, I just want a relationship with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want you to be my son or daughter. That's all that's going on in my head. I have no other agenda. I don't have a, I don't have a list of rules that I'm just waiting to condemn you with. I want a relationship. And I'm asking that you would turn, repent toward that relationship. Imagine the terror of the children that Leanne had. What if that's your terror? You're just more socially sophisticated than they are. But you're just as afraid of giving up control and attaching as they are. Romans, uh, let's start with Ephesians. Ephesians 1 describes this. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. In accordance with his pleasure and will. That's his desire. And he's inviting you into his desire, into his will, there's nothing religious about him. He wants to be with you. And he's inviting you into that place. And how do you get in? How do you get in? You get adopted. You let yourself 
be adopted. There's nothing that you can do to earn what Leanne was, there's nothing you can do to, to manipulate that. How do, you, how do you manipulate somebody to love you genuinely? It's, it's ridiculous. All you can do is hang on tight as you're brought out of your control into trust. In, uh, in Romans 8.15, it says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Fear is totally what motivates rebellion and religion. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I don't think Christianity makes sense without that being its centerpiece. It will just be religion. But what's going on at the heart of Christianity is the adoption of you and I into the family of God with a new father, a better father, a one who seems quite committed to taking us into the deep end, <laughs> but is being a safe place for us there. In conclusion, repentance, as we've already said, is not about feeling bad and trying harder. It's about desiring love. I like what Psalm 73 says, Earth has nothing I desire besides you. And nothing I desire. I have amazing children. I have the most beautiful wife you can imagine. And there's a place in my heart that can only be filled by being one with my Heavenly Father. And I have an amazing family. And you have that same hole in your heart. I trust today that you, worship team, you can come up. I trust today that you desire to have a relationship with God. I don't think you would be here if you didn't want it, even in deep down in your heart of hearts. But here's the offer that's being given you today. Would you come as a child? Would you come as a child? Don't come sophisticated. Don't come with your lists of what you're going to contribute to the relationship. They're all kind of embarrassing when you think about it. The only way to move from truth into faith is through the valley of repentance. Choosing to become a child again, John 1.12. Choosing to become a child again and receiving the gift of relationship. In that place is where our desires shift. Could we please stand together? Father, I thank you <clears throat> for the gift of repentance. I thank you that Christianity simply isn't about moving from a list of rules to now obeying those rules. That you take us through the valley of relationship, exchanging a set of self-centered desires for a deeper, more profound, more satisfying set of desires, being known and loved by you and loving you in response. Father, I pray today 
that you would give us the grace to choose this again. Maybe we've chosen it a hundred times before. Maybe we've never chosen it. But today I ask that you would give us the grace to choose relationship and to quiet our heart, to silence the fears enough to say, you are all my heart has ever longed for. And as a child, I receive you as my father today. 